Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Dami. The clock, it's ticking. One top strategist says the countdown to recession is officially on. He will lay out his timeline and when he sees the market topping out. We also have a double dose of after-hours movers. Both Fox and Williams-Sonoma moving lower after reporting results will break down what's driving that action. And later, a royal rally, how King Dollar just got a big boost from the Queen. We will explain. But we begin with today's move higher. Stocks surging with the Dow gaining more than 250 points. Energy, consumer discretionary, industrials all leading the way. This is a yield on the 30-year bond hit an all-time low. So... You trust today's market rally, Guy Adami. Hi, Melms. No, I definitely don't trust it, but I'll say this. You know, as we get in the later part of this week, into a holiday weekend, there's the old saying, Steve knows this on the floor, never short a dull market. So you could see this market sort of following through over the next couple of days into early next week. But I'll say it again. I think this market will culminate on the downside when the VIX trades up to 30, which I think is going to happen. But with that said, there are trading opportunities here, and I'm going to do a power pitch in the back end of the show oh, gonna do it right now. Yeah. that's going to speak to exactly that. Yeah. So there's another saying, too. Don't fight the Fed. So never short a dull market. Don't fight the Fed. You have both of them coming up right now. They cancel each other out. No, got it. It might. It, it, well, actually, you better have a nice question. Actually, that was where I was going to go. Oh, because, really? Because the Fed right now, you, you don't know which way the Fed is going to go. So you don't know which way you're fighting. So that, to me, is the, is the caveat to whether the markets are safe to get back in or to stay in right now. But I am invested. I think the market is going up. Right. You were mentioning earlier today on the call of financials, particularly regional banks, retail stocks. I mean, these are some of the most beaten down sectors of the market here. Right. So history doesn't rhyme. It repeats itself. I don't know why I said that. Um, well, because we've seen these moments through, throughout the last six to 12 months where financials, which have largely underperformed transports, which have underperformed for 18 months, have had these big snap out breakout days when you look like you're in an oversold condition. So what didn't make sense about today's tape to me was that you had a flight to quality in bonds. We actually tested the, the lows in the 10 years. We hit Sunday night when everyone was very worried. We had the dollar that was rallying a bit. Um, you had some other dynamics that would be risk you know, kind of risk off trades. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet you had a huge move in small caps, a huge move in, in, in uh, the XRT or the retail stocks and the transports. I think we have oversold conditions here. I think the reality of we are trading in a 100 S&P point range for the last month. That's it. With a fair amount of volatility and a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of people grinding and, 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 and gnashing their teeth um, and not much has happened. So I think today's breakout is nothing you say plant a flag in the ground and say this was the moment. Um, but I do think when you get oversold, you get these bounces. you got a chart. I do. A I do. What's well, your cliche? So, so here's a, yeah, it's a, I, well, I don't know if I have a cliche. It's a market Stitching of time. stocks, not a stock market. Nice. I never really okay, understood that one. one, but I'll use it for this. But, you know, it's interesting. Is that This chart was actually being passed around. I think it's been passed around for a week or so. But a trader sent it to me today, and it basically shows what people will call a megaphone top or a, a broadening top technical formation. I'm not a technician, not going to play one on TV today. Too late. Oh, boy. But anyway, 
point is, what you get here is this broadening formation, and you usually get five touches on the line, right? And so what does this show us? What I found interesting about this is it shows us that we have effectively been trading in a very broad range with volatility expanding. And to me, that, that frightens me because when volatility expands, you things break. And so I think this resolves to the downside. It certainly could go to the upside. I know we're going to have somebody talking about that in a minute or so. But to me, it, it just that's a picture that visually shows what we talk about every night. Is it the trade war? Is it the Fed? Is it this? Is it that? And you have this massive volatility, very difficult to trade, and likely things break. Can we put the chart up again? In, in terms of touching the line, does it have to alternate between highs and lows? Y- yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you so get that one, two, after three, number, four, five. After number five, if we can so, put back up, it would go down to number six, which would be the orange line, which would be... be no, one. you don't get... At, five is it. Oh, five is oh, the number. Five is that's it. As, apparently, that is that's it. all it goes. It five breaks is after it. five. After but you're five, saying a wide range. Is that right? So, so the way to interpret this, as I'm told, is it, it either breaks... Violently higher or violently lower. My view is that we break violently lower, but five is as many touches as you get, apparently, with the old megaphone top. We used to always worry about, or, or we used to always say, there's no volatility left in the market. Now we have extreme versions of volatility. So, yes, I think both will be right. I think you, you could break lower and you could break higher. Both will probably happen, just which, which happens first. It's probably higher, in my opinion. You saw people reach for chemicals today. Mm-hmm. When was the last time they bought chemicals? I'm along TSE packaging. And that makes you feel w- good about breaking iron? Because, because, because they were so beaten up, people uh-huh. were trying to risk out, and they were so worried about global growth. Now they're buying those things that they threw out, which makes me potentially set that, up for a higher That market. would be the glass half-full interpretation of the market's moves today. Well, I'm always a half-empty, as you know. I mean, I was brought up in the Wall Street, what can go wrong will go wrong, another cliche. By the way, yours is history doesn't repeat itself. But it often writhes. But you know, I don't need to be corrected. Yeah. In public. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure tra- it doesn't okay. make sense. You know what? I'm not sure. Tra- now you're, you're. I mean, you're mad. I know the Mets had a tough night last night. We'll oh, talk come about on. that later. What were you saying? No, listen. I think the market the, the, over the next couple of days grinds slightly higher. I think people go on the weekend feeling good about themselves, thinking maybe we finally figured out what this inverted yield curve means. Maybe Tuesday you have another decent day. But I think. Things are going to get really interesting in the first couple weeks of September. And I told BK walking in here, October is going to be a historic month for a number of different asset classes, specifically the one that BK knows the most about. I, I, mm. You know, I, I, these, everyone's made a point that's been somewhat kind of emphatic about the conditions here. I, I, I would argue that we haven't seen anything yet in terms of volatility, even though I think people felt that we've had a big... And I think we've traded in a very tight range here, despite the divergence of outcomes we could have here. So... Uh, I, I hate to do this, but it's a very quiet week. Um, it could explain some of the subdued. We also get violent moves in, in these types of weeks. I think you have a major expectation of a rebalance out of bonds into equities at the end of the month. This is something that I've been or talking about. Or it could have happened already. That may have been even just the bid to the market right. today. You, you got this sense. And therefore, really oversold stuff would be a rotation in for, for relative value players. Um, but but to, as we've echoed and we've unfortunately had to address almost nightly on this show, there, there's nothing about the trade war that's changed. Hong Kong is, is still a tinderbox. You have a dynamic with the Fed that's still unproven. 50 now maybe more in, in the lexicon of where the market is right now, except for the fact that I'm listening to a Fed, which, which doesn't really sound like to a man they want to go 50. And if anything, I still think that that's the most important dynamic for the market. You're the only one on the desk. 
this desk that thinks the market could break higher. So what would you buy here in this environment? I, well, I'd buy the things that have not worked because today, uh-huh. if, if today is any indication of where you should be going, it's energy and it's chemicals, the things that haven't worked. Because we know if there's brighter headlines on the trade front, all of those large cap tech names, all the semiconductor space, everything that is, uh, quote unquote, trade related will rip higher. But the best bang for your buck are the things that have not performed that start mm-hmm. to perform now. All right. Well, the, offic- uh, the countdown is officially on, apparently. Canaccord Genuity's Tony Dwyer says the clock is now ticking. Look at that clock. Mm. Ticking. On a recession and the market peak. 24 months, zero days, seven. This is about 19 months. That's how we calculate it. Huh. But Tony says the market will rally more than 15% until the recession kicks in. He's over at the plasma to chart it out. Tony. Well, thanks, Mel. You know, Wall Street's filled with strategists that tell you something, they come on, and when it actually gets there, they change. And I'm not going to be that guy. I don't think it's different this time. What you notice on this chart is all those gray shaded areas are recessions. What happens every single time prior to a recession? Sure enough, you get a yield curve inversion of the 210. Okay, this one was a 39% rally prior to recession. This one led to a uh, this was 34% rally before the recession in the peak of the market. This was 39%, and this was 29%. So I think we're going to go actually a lot more than 15%. I think we'll do 15% in the next year, but it actually takes about two years. If you look at the last three cycles, the average gain has been 34%. The median gain has been 34% over 22 months. How do you know then? When is it time? Like, these numbers are great. Who cares about a median? How do you know it's time to get really defensive? It's time to get defensive when corporate credit really starts to act poorly. What you'll see here is prior to the recession, you had a bottom in the Moody's BAA. This is the lowest level of investment-grade bonds. This is the average yield of those uh, lowest level of investment-grade bonds. It made a low two years before you went into a recession. We just made a record low. It was a record low. It was the only second time in the history of the Moody's BAA index since 1962 that the 10-week rate of change dropped to minus 15. That's not signaling that money is shutting down. Money shutting down is what causes a recession. And then lastly, the Fed, (laughs) stunningly, um, the Fed is yet to get really ahead of the market. How do you know when it's ahead of the market? I, and I believe they will, which is one of the reasons I still think the market's going to go up. How do you know they're not ahead of the market? Because this is the current lower bound of the Fed funds rate, and these are the two and 10-year note yields. Like, I don't need to be a master economist, because I'm not, to know that the Fed is behind the market when you're 50 basis points below the Fed funds. I think Tony comes over. What do you think? Yeah. Why did he? Ask? I mean, you never asked. Now you just have to ask. Once in a while, Mel exerts kind of like I'm in charge kind of mentality and, and does what she wants to do. Right. <laughs> what she should do, by the way. I, so, I brought paperwork. Wow. <laughs> wow. Very prepared, no, Tony. Wow. I, yeah. like, I like. Oh your style. no! I got to read you something, Mel. Um, you're gonna oh, love it. oh, you're going to read? I don't even get a question. I thought you did your little thing at the plaza. I'm waiting. Okay. So here's my question. If people believe that there's this rule of thumb that you have a certain amount of time after this, you know, indicator flashes a recession signal, doesn't that time, the more people know about this lag time, doesn't that time period get compressed? So it's a great question. And I went back and I read my prior notes because I want to make sure that I'm not full of it either. And in all those prior notes, every time it Reading feels like Reading your notes, like by the way, doesn't make you less full of it. <laughs> it may make you more, but... <laughs> Definitely more full of it. But the, the reason that I did that is to make sure that 
it isn't different this time, that I was saying the same thing back in the last cycle. And what creates that lead time is the 10-year note yield drops so much. We've gone from three and a quarter to a, in the 1.4 level. Right. That's extraordinarily stimulative because bank lending hasn't quite shut down yet. So there's still money moving around, and it just got really cheaper, and you're still at full employment. So you have this money that kind of surges into the market because that drop in the tenure, and then it kind of shuts down, and the time it takes to put that money to work is what causes that lead time. But you get this little kind of bump in the economy. So you're like, maybe it is different this time, but it's not different this time. Um, in the past times, I'm curious also, where, where does that tenure yield typically drop from, and does that make a difference because some could argue that a drop in, and we've been sub two for a long time That's even right. though we've been at more than three what november of last year or so yeah. um we've been sub two for so long that people could say that there was money being borrowed at those very low levels anyway so every incremental drop in the tenure doesn't lead to incremental borrowing on the part of corporations which no. won't lead to incremental spending later on it does at the household level there is no question and karen has brought this up a lot in the last couple of times i've been on there's no question industrial spending and corporate spending has come down because of the trade war. That is not debatable. Household spending, however, is what is more sensitive to the drop in rates. So there's this idea in the marketplace that um, the lower risk premium and the global overseas negative yields has created this artificial suppression in the long end, which is, means that this may not be a good recession indicator. And, and what I brought to read is, is a quote, if you don't mind, Mel. Just, think, just listen to this for a sec. Doesn't sound There's not. been a good bit of evidence that the declines in the term premium and perhaps a great deal of savings chasing a limited number of investment opportunities around the world have led to a somewhat permanent flattening or even inversion of the yield curve, and that pattern does not necessarily predict a slowing in the economy or recession. Ben Bernanke, February 2007. Mm. Hmm. So it was, that quote is saying the global... Low global interest rates is creating demand for the U.S. product that's artificially suppressing the long end of the curve. So we've done this before. It didn't, didn't go very well, though. It didn't go well. It was a much different cycle, but it didn't go very well, Tim, as you know. Yeah. So I'm curious, Tony. So if we're going to get this rip higher and the economy is going to look to improve, Stephen Grasso said today that people were buying chemicals, part of the cyclicals. Is that the best place to be? In the earlier segment, you guys were talking about, uh, Timmy was talking about how bonds came down and it's kind of surprising that stocks went up. Inflation break-evens actually upticked today. It was this morning when I think it became a pervasive story on the street that Bill Dudley came out with his op-ed on Bloomberg that suggested you don't want to have policy that allows for President Trump to win a second term. Now, nobody on the set or anywhere knows my political bias. That's not my job. But you have a vice chairman of the Fe former vice chairman of the Federal Reserve openly stating that the risk to the market or the risk to the economy is President Trump. And you don't want to pursue this policy because it might help him. That right there gave the Fed the flexibility to become aggressively accommodated, as I've been suggesting lately. Why? Because right now they have to prove that they're not kowtowing to President Trump. Now they have to prove on that op-ed, they have to prove that they're not biased against President Trump. They have to prove their independence. So you remove both tail risk. And now what can they follow? Their own inflation break-evens, which has, it has five-year forward inflation at 1.5%. They want 2%. If you don't do anything, how are you going to get 2% if it's at one5 so that's what really, I think, is going to kickstart this rally that goes toward the peak. 
But a lot of people on the show, you know, I've been a permable. I, I've been bullish for 10 years, right? What changes that? I've always said the 210 curve inversion yeah. changes that tone. Now I'm watching those credit indicators right. to make sure it's not going sideways. Thanks, Tony. Thank Tony you, Mike. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord, Genuity. That's good. Isn't he good? Ah, we could use a box. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I was nervous. He had another piece of paper hanging on him, too. So there's a couple of issues with that. The problem is, during those other recessions, the Fed had about five or six percentage points to bail the economy out. So they don't have that. So I'm worried about if the market is pricing in something cataclysmic after all that happens. And you also want to hunt yield. So stick with what's been performing as well. So the utilities can have a further leg higher in this economy. Okay. Look, I think the Fed could cut rates from here to eternity. They're not going to get the inflation they desire, and, and they think they can somehow manufacture it. I think history has proven that they can do anything but. Tim, quick. Uh, utilities are up 32% from the beginning of the trade war. Um, you tell me what's going to reverse that trend. I'm not sure. All right, coming up. Fox and William Sonoma, both on the move after hours, will give you the highlights from their quarters. But first, Facebook's 2020 vision, the social media giant seeing some major money moves ahead of next year's election. We'll break down who's driving the big spend. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money Facebook. Back in the political spotlight once again. Ad spending among Democratic presidential hopefuls skyrocketing as a race for the White House heats up. Our very own Julia Borson is in Los Angeles with more on this spending spree. Hi, Julia. Hi, Melissa. Well, despite the manipulation on Facebook around the last presidential election, the fact that the platform is offers such a great opportunity to narrowly target voters is once again making it a destination this time for Democratic hopefuls. The Wall Street Journal reporting that a political action community focused on turning out Asian American voters saw the cost of generating just one email address for its supporter or donor list skyrocket to $279 from $9 or less. Now, it does make sense that the price hikes would be happening now. The deadline to qualify for the next debate is at midnight, and Democratic presidential hopefuls have been spending big to reach the donor and polling threshold necessary to be included. Now, it's not that Facebook is trying to take advantage of a surge of interest. Prices are set, rather, by demand in Facebook's auction advertising system. Facebook did not weigh in on the reported increase in those ad prices, but it did say, quote, our ad auction is designed to promote a diversity of advertisers, not just those who bid more. It takes into consideration whether the ad will be interesting and relevant for the person seeing it. And all of this comes as Facebook ramps up its requirements for political advertisers. Now political advertisers have to go beyond just verifying their identity and location. Now they have to provide information about their organization and who is funding their ads, including either their tax ID number, a government website domain, or federal election commission number. Now all of this is just Facebook's latest move to protect the 2020 election from any manipulation and also to ramp up transparency about who is on the platform and what they're doing and what they're spending money on. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borston. Um, 
how many candidates on the Democratic side? Twenty, but ones? whittling down. Still counting. Yeah. Still counting. So right. that's a huge. And one lost New York mayor. There's a lot of there's spending, lot of spending, and, spending it, and it worked in the last election. That's that's what everybody's saying is that listen, if you go out and do this ad spending, this digital ad spending, it works. So I think certainly Facebook gets a tailwind from it. But the name in the social that I actually like that looks like it wants to break out is the Twitter machine. Twitter, TWTR. I think that's the one you buy on a breakout. Hmm. I, I think Facebook is also just their core business is, is working. Um, so, I mean, the, you're seeing e-commerce. You're seeing actually lead in commercial usage. You're seeing Instagram finally starting to pay some dividends. Uh, I think if you're going to make the election uh, kind of tailwind argument for Facebook, I think you have to make it for Twitter. Um, I, I think ultimately Twitter to me is going to be the greatest beneficiary of a company that's actually starting to see revenue growth, low teens, ad sales, you know, high 20s. Uh, that to me is a lot more interesting. If it's going to be a tailwind for these guys, is it also going to be a tailwind for traditional media? It has to be. And they always say it's a boon for traditional media. The problem is media gets caught up in that, in that bullseye of cord cutting and do they have a streaming product. So it gets a little muddy. But Facebook had every reason to collapse and keep collapsing. It's up 38%. It's doing the best out of all the Fang names. I would probably stay there. It is, but, you know, it's also had some pretty big moves along the way. I mean, it's, in December, this was $125 stock, and we talked about this thing. You know, I get a lot wrong. One of the things we got right was the fact that into this quarter, Facebook would retest that all-time high we saw in July, and that's exactly what happened. You have pretty much a huge double top now around 211. The point is this. I think it trades down to 165 thereabouts, which is sort of the 50% correction of the entire move we've seen this year. And I agree with both Tim and BK that I think Twitter is your bet. All right. For more on the big money social spend ahead of the election, you can head on over to our website, CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Call it a royal rally. The King Dollar just got a big boost from the Queen. We'll explain. And later, Guy is stepping up to the plate to pitch his next big idea. Why he thinks one big bank could be a home run investment. All that's on deck when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings whip on some After Hours movers, William Sonoma and Box, both on the move after reporting. We've got full team coverage. Contessa Brewer standing by on WSM. Let's start off with Josh Lipton in San Francisco with Box. Josh. 
So, Melissa, you know, you talk to analysts who cover uh, Box, and one point of concern they'll point out is this company's growth rate. Two years ago, they say around 30 percent, now roughly half that. I did get the chance to speak to uh, Aaron Levy, Box's CEO, and I asked him about that point, and, and Aaron acknowledged, listen, Box needs, he said, to grow faster. Um, said, they're, listen, they're advancing their product portfolio, so trying to deliver more solutions for customers. Pointed out they're standardizing and simplifying their go-to-market strategy. Also, Melissa, just more broadly, I did want to get his take on just the state and health of IT spending here more broadly. Um, Aaron's saying the IT market remains, in his words, fairly stable, though noted that trade disputes, tariffs do not make for a stable macro environment. On the call here, Melissa, he's hammering home on these same themes, pointing out, listen, um, we're evolving the product, we're introducing new products, we're working hard, he said, to improve go-to-market efforts. Uh, Noted that they are making progress, in his words, on training, for example, 36% growth in $100,000 deals. Um, Noted the large install base of customers, the strong product roadmap, making the case that he sees real opportunities ahead. But you can see that stock down to down right now. And remember, Mel, heading into this print, it was already down nearly 50 percent over the last 12 months. Back to you. All right, Josh. Thank you, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. I mean, we heard similar sentiments from Autodesk, different businesses, but sort of the same kind of tech sector, same tariff right. trade and, headlines. And so you said, I mean, the quarter in and of it, it wasn't a horrible quarter. And the guidance, the full year guidance wasn't horrible either. It comes down to valuation and still probably close to 70 times forward earnings. It's just too expensive in this environment where people are looking for growth. It's been cut in half over the last year. July of last year was 2713. Now, I don't think you buy it yet. I think you got to wait for the flush. We haven't seen it. I agree with that. EPS, Box has beaten EPS 100% of the time and beat on revenues 75% of the time. So the fact that they beat doesn't mean that you should be out buying the stock. The CEO nailed it. They have to grow quicker. If they're still losing money, you have to get a much larger growth rate to be buyer of the stock. I just think they're in such a commoditized space to be growing 16% to finally be competing with you best. That's right. Amazon, Microsoft. I mean, they, there's, I just don't see it for a company at this multiple in this environment. So, no, I, I don't even wait for a flush. All right. Let's move on to a retail triple play. Five below PBH, Williams-Sonoma, all moving after hours. Contessa Brewers on all of those stories at headquarters. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. Yeah, back to school for five below. Beloved for cheap pencils, phone chargers, and a superb candy selection. Delivered third quarter guidance that wasn't so sweet. CEO Joel Anderson says it reflects the current tariff situation and the timing of their efforts to mitigate the impact. The company stands out, though, for its willingness to tackle the impact of tariffs and expects they'll increase as scheduled throughout the fall. Stock and extended trading, uh, we did see it dip somewhat uh, right after they reported. Now, but you can see just off slightly half a percent or so. All right, PBH, fancy clothes by Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, Michael Kors, and lots of others delivered matching top and bottom line beats, but weak guidance for the third quarter. CEO Manny Chirico says North America and China had weak traffic trends. That includes the impact of the protests in Hong Kong. So the company had to dress up their promotions to lure in the customers, the shares after hours, just off slightly. Williams-Sonoma really cooking when it comes to home furnishings. Comp sales up 6.5%, where analysts were expecting 3.3%. The real spice in these numbers? West Elm, which the CEO calls its biggest growth opportunity, comp revenue up more than 17 percent. And while the company raised full year guidance, the implied outlook for the second half is lukewarm. Counted at least three puns from you. The spice. Are they puns? Are they really puns or is it just creative writing? (laughs) (laughs) You can call it whatever. We love puns. (laughs) Contessa Brewer. 
Um, so, again, the impact of China the, tariffs. The impact of tariffs, particularly PVH. I mean, they're not necessarily as high-end as uh, Louis Vuitton. Those are the ones that really got hurt uh, during the China tariffs. But, I, again, I think the story about retail, mixed bag here and there. Um, Williams-Sonoma, not a lot of people buying pots, but I guess uh, what's Contessa went out on a limb with the West Elm. Contessa's puns or, or creative <laughs> writing was much better than Brian's. Um, I will say that I, I like William Sonoma here. This is a company that's trading it with that new guidance and that's raised guidance. You're at 14 and a half times 2019. This is part of the housing trade to me. This is part of the Home Depot trade. When you go to Home Depot, you're probably stopping at William Sonoma to outfit Brian. I don't know, you're probably not buying pots and pans, but maybe no. a new toaster. An apron. Maybe an apron. Some, some, some yeah. fresh napkins. Mitts. Mitts. Yeah. Yeah. New no, anyway, that's some nice copper Very pots, interesting. Good I did get at Williams Sonoma. The problem with Williams Sonoma is you're running into massive resistance here around uh, seventy dollars to seventy-two dollars. Two thousand eighteen, September two thousand eighteen, seventy-two was your resistance. Right now, it's around seventy dollars. So I would wait. Looking at the chart, trading at sixty-seven thirty-ish. Wait until it blows through that seventy mark before you dabble in that name. Used to used to have this beautiful pashmina that you used to wear on the desk. Remember from, me? From the CEO oh, of Five, five Below. The Not CEO you, of Five Steve, Below. Melissa. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, I actually like it. Five had little below. pineapples. It was on it. it was fantastic. Great store. It was really yeah. nice. Guy, do you have any pashminas? Of course I do. <laughs> as we get into the autumnal months, I'll what start do you feed to bring them? them as well. <laughs> Sweet laugh track. Anyway, Listen, as margins you say. were better. The guidance wasn't terrible, and at 32 times, given their EPS growth rate and given the 20 percent sales growth rate. The last quarter, I think this stock off from its all-time highs is worth a buy right here. Right. Coming up, the greenback rallying today on some big Brexit drama across the pond. We'll break down one way to play the dollar's dominance, but first, Guy is making his fast pitch comeback with one stock that he says will knock it out of the park. Find out what the name is when we come right back. More Fast Money right after this. I think the market is now behind Google. I think Google's ahead of the market. I think Google will sort of hang around here as the market goes down. That's when you want to buy Alphabet. That was Guy's pitch back in May for Google. Since that call, Alphabet's up nearly 2%, but it's a big boost off its recent earnings report. So what do you do now, Guy? Yeah, the timing was pretty lousy because if you go back and look, it really cratered in June. So the timing was bad. I think you stay with it, although I do think the market is vulnerable here. I think valuation suggests, last quarter suggests that Google's probably figured it out, so I would stay with uh, Alphabet, the Goog L. The Goog L. Um, you got another fast pitch for us. Why don't you hand on over oh, to the Oh, I'm going to head over to the smart board right now. I love the power pitch maybe more than anybody in the history of fast money. And you're going to be shocked at what I'm about to pitch, and we sort of teased it at the top of the show. Hold your hate Twitter, folks. But here it goes. I'm going to power pitch... City. And you're going to be like, wait a second, you've been so negative on banks, especially city, European exposure. What are you talking about? And you're right on all those levels. But sometimes you have to make a trading call. I absolutely think banks go lower in the early part of next year, if not October. But in the short term, I think you can see a rally. Trading at a discount, what does that mean? Well, City just reported, they said tangible book was roughly $68. City yesterday traded below 62 When it typically gets to that kind of discount, it's been a buying opportunity. Number two, 
think the bond market is overextended. I think rates continue to go lower. But in the short term, you might have seen a top in the TLT. Maybe rates tick higher. That should be positive for banks as well. And third, it did. It held critical support. We're going to pull up a chart and show you. Dan Nathan actually mentioned this the other night. But the $60 level in city has been decent support. So if you go back and look, bless you over there on the side, 60s actually held a couple of times. So although I don't like the banks long term, and I think city has tremendous issues, I think for a trade, city sets up really well over the next week, week and a half. Hey, Guy. Um, Hi, Tim. Appreciate your sensitivity to the guy coughing off stage. I, I, I like the fact that Citi is, is up there for you because I like the pick. I'm long the pick. But I'm very concerned uh, about their net interest margins. And that is something from Money Center Bank. And if you looked at the last quarter's numbers, which were fine, is a big area of concern. For all the banks, and I think Citi as well, the numbers have been really poor. And again, I think their European exposure is one of the reasons the stock has traded so poorly. I don't think the banks are fixed at all. And I think the points you bring up for the long term suggest banks go lower. In the short term, though, and we've seen this before, I think you can see a 12 to 14 percent bounce in a name in a market that goes sideways to slightly higher in a segment that's still probably going lower longer term. Hey, Guy, it's BK, longtime listener, first time caller. Hi, hi, Brian. Power pitch there. Uh, I'm curious. We have a Fed meeting coming up in September, potentially maybe trying to re-steepen the yield curve. Is that the catalyst for this trade? Maybe. You've talked about this Operation Twist. A lot of hockey fans remember Tony Twist. I totally digress. You might want to look that up. But, yes, that absolutely could be a catalyst. Again, this is a trade. This, this is more trade than investment. I think this is short-term. When I say short-term, over the next couple of weeks. And, again, you've seen stocks like Citi rally 8, 10, 12 percent in a two-week time. And to your point, maybe that twist, that operation twist, if the Fed talks about it, will be the catalyst to get this trade done. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Guy's pitch on City Grasso? I'm buying it. And for the same reason, on a technical basis, if you look at that $60 level, that has held and been great support back to January of this year. But I guess Guy would probably, I would estimate that Guy would agree with me on this. If it does break below 60, that's probably the way to exit or puke the trade. BK. You know what? I came into this thinking I was not going to say bye. You probably can't read this. But I'm going to say bye. Guy convinced me. He completely changed my mind for trade. Tim. And a triple. Joker, joker, and a triple. Ultimately, Money Center Banks did very well in this last quarter. I love the fact that the capital ratios are going down. Why? Because they're paying out more. Banks are actually becoming proper div plays. Three buys on the desk. You know what that means, Guy. Means I'm going to lose. Tony Braxton tonight. (laughs) But uh, you guys at home, you can vote on Guy's Pitch on City. Uh, Our Twitter poll is up at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Coming up next, King Dollar just got a big boost from the Queen of England. Why the Greenback may be setting up for a royal rally. Stick with us. Fast Money's back right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The pound getting pounded today, falling as much as 1% against the dollar. This is UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson doubled down on Brexit. Johnson moving to temporarily shut down Parliament, preventing lawmakers from passing any new bills that would stop the UK from crashing out of the EU. Basically, he asked the Queen if if she would suspend the Parliament. She said yes. So the Parliament won't come back until just days before a key EU summit ahead of Brexit. Right. So this obviously is a political tactic. Frankly, it stunned me. And I didn't. It was stunned me that the market didn't react more to this. But the, the net net of this is what you're starting to see is countries start to. It's it's one more shot in the currency war because as the pound goes down, people go into the Swiss franc. The Swiss national bank said that's too strong. They're going to intervene, and it just creates more chaos. We talked about this volatility that's coming from the current. Market. So, you know, if we're looking into the fall and what we can what can break, currency markets can break. Mm-hmm. And obviously they go into the dollar too, the U.S. dollar. Right. right. So just to remind you, if you're looking for the weightings of the dollar index here, they are. It's about 58 percent euro, almost actually closer to 60 now. It's 12 percent pound. It's about 14 percent Japanese yen and a sprinkling of other European currencies. So um, historically, to me, the pound rising against the dollar has been a very good sign for risk assets and reflation trades, along with the five-year part of the curve without getting too deep into global macro. Seeing the pound fall is nothing positive for me as an asset allocator. Yeah. And the impact on U.S. companies? You, you, it should be sign- Well, I mean, maybe not as significant as this whole uh, yuan situation mm-hmm. that we've seen. But in terms of what's going on in currencies, I mean, you know, we can talk about a currency war. I think BK would agree with this. At a certain point, it becomes a currency crisis. And the difference is in a war, you can control things. In a crisis, you can't. And I think we're on the verge of that, which is why gold still works and which is why BK's Bitcoin will probably still work. Yeah, I would have said the opposite, by the way. Just that's by definition, in a war, you can't control a war because no. a war is, you know, well, but but a crisis, crisis is something you is measured, right? It's mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, but, but uh, so the currency crisis comes when you run out of reserves and you can't do anything. That's the crisis part of it. And there's a couple countries that are looking at that right now: Turkey, South Africa. Those are the two. But it all stems from a strong dollar, which hurts U.S. multinationals. Some might make the argument that we will have we will lose the war if we choose to go into a war because we don't have the reserves to actually prop up the U.S. dollar. We well, don't have the firepower on our own to unilaterally prop up the U.S. dollar. We don't want a strong dollar, though. That's going mean, to hurt. Excuse I mean, me, to yeah. intervene and weaken the dollar. Well, sure, you could print a ton of dollars. You could just print more dollars. That's increased supply. The dollar will go straight yes, down. Yes. And by yes. the way, as a Bitcoin holder, please do. And by the way, they, they, that's the other alternative. They could use the balance sheet again. So they stopped the quantitative tightening. If they ever went back to quantitative easing, easing that would do it. All right. Well, the strong dollar could mean even more good news for the mighty U.S. consumer. Mike goes out in San Francisco with more on a big bullish bet in the options market. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, we you know, it's interesting because, of course, just in the second half now of August, we haven't seen that much options activity. Pete was alluding to this yesterday below average in most cases. But XRT actually traded well over 10 times its average daily call volume today. And on a low volume for the options market, that's a particular standout. And where we saw that activity was the September 6th weekly 40 strike calls. Somebody paid about a quarter for 20,000 of those. That's making a bullish bet that XRT could rise above that 40 strike price by at least a quarter that they paid. That's going to be a week from this coming Friday. So that's a short-term bullish bet, trying to take advantage of the fact that options look very fairly priced here, a bullish bet for one of the sectors that hasn't performed all that well this year. This is sort of what we talked about right in the A block. Do you, do you trust this bounce in some of these sectors? And we named retail specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grasso? Yeah, well, I, I, wouldn't you think that the worst is over for a lot of these retail names or the fact that they've priced in a heck of a lot 
to the downside. I, I don't know if you can. Oh, I always use this argument that it's not priced in until it's priced in. Mm-hmm. But I would think that there's a heck of a lot of headwinds that have already been established, already been assumed in the retail space. But stick with the winners. Stick with the raw stars. Stick with the TJ Maxx's. Stick with the Walmart. Stick with the Costco's. Don't go into the deep end of the pool on, on names that have not performed well. Uh, Mike, this is a short-term trade, granted, but, I mean, what, what's your feeling on what they've priced in? Because maybe what, what the retail stocks have not priced in is an increase in the new tariffs that they could face, particularly after December 15th. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, we were just talking about currencies. Some of those currency issues have been a little bit of an offset for the tariffs, haven't they? So that's one thing that we could certainly take a look at. We have also seen some standouts. I mean, Target obviously performed very well. Depot performed very well. Costco is a retail upside surprise earlier this week, net of that store opening in China. So not all of the news is bad necessarily. And, of course, the other issue is where are you going to put your money? I think that might be one of the reasons that people are doing this. And on top of all of that, with the volatility we're seeing and options prices not being up as much as we might otherwise think that they should be, that's probably why we're seeing them use that to make their short-term bullish bets here. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, the 30-year yield taking to its lowest level on record. So that got us in the mood to do a little yield hunting. Up next, the best places to stash your cash. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square much more fast when he's still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money, a rate wreck on Wall Street with the yield on a 30-year bond tumbling below 2% to its lowest level on record. The long bond is now officially yielding less than the S&P 500 dividend yield for the first time in a decade. Meantime, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin out in just the past hour or so saying a 50- or 100-year bond, an ultra-long bond, is under very serious consideration, this he told uh, Bloomberg. Yeah, which, which, I mean, makes sense financially, right? Why wouldn't you go out and borrow money at effectively, you know, no, no cost to you? And so I think that certainly makes sense in terms of I'm looking at it financially. In terms of how much debt we have, that's a whole different story. But when you look at kind of the 30-year bond at a buck 93 mm-hmm. you have to say to yourself in 30 years is it going sometime in the next 30 years are rates going to be higher or lower than this and i think it's a pretty safe bet to say they're going to be higher at some point what would that do to the yield curve i mean theoretically if an ultra long bond is yielding however many basis points above the longest current bond 30 year then does that steepen the curve Make the curve yes. longer. It just makes the curve longer. <laughs> well, it, it will, it, it, you will have a pivot in the curve in the long end. And we've seen this. We've seen this in a couple corporate issues. We've seen this in some of the uh, the biggest companies in the world that have been able to do it. This does shift some of your, your liability and your duration risk, and it, it is a smart thing to do. It's something the European Union, I think, should be doing. All right. With the 30-year bond now yielding less than the S&P, we decided to play a little game of would you rather oh, I love this game. yield hunting style. We picked four stocks in the S&P okay. that are yielding more than the long bond. So we kick things off with Nordstrom, yielding more than 5% compared to 1.9% on the 30-year. So, Tim, which would you rather? Uh, to me, the 30-year bond, no question I would rather own. I would rather the 30-year bond. Over like, f- Nordstrom. F- 5% wow. in Nordstrom is, is, is 20 minutes of trading on a bad day. Um, <laughs> it's not the reason to go out and buy this stock. It's a company that right now is down 38% in a year uh, when, in fact, we've answered no questions about the company. The only bid to the stock really comes when you talk about a takeout. Um, and I'm not even sure at what price that would be. So 30-year bond. 
Next up, Wells Fargo yielding just over 4%. Would you rather Wells Fargo or the 30-year bond? Yeah, so this comes down to a time frame, right? Because if I'm looking at why is the 30-year bond down is because we think bond yields are going even lower, which is not going to be good for Wells Fargo in the relatively short term. So I did that whole thing about 30 years. The only person who has a 30-year time frame is Warren Buffett. Let's say it's a year. It's a one-year time frame. Then I want to buy 30-year bonds all day long and twice on Sunday. Wow. Yeah. Johnson & Johnson yielding around 3% right now. Steve, would Had you rather? every reason to go, would I rather? I'm, I'm yeah. going to say Johnson & Johnson. Let's get that out okay. right now. It's around 3%. So there's not that much of a difference. Uh, I think the market's going higher. So I think equities are going higher. I think Johnson & Johnson had a bunch of people caught off sides. I think they are reestablishing long positions. Johnson & Johnson. This one's an interesting one. Mm. Apache yielding 4.5% right now. 30-year bond or Apache, guys? When does the duck come out of there's the bull? No, there's no, this is, no. would you rather? Did no, you but read the graphics? Would you rather We're not yield hunting? hunting. We're not yield hunting. Edition. Yield edition. Oh, yield edition. edition. Uh, not yield hunting, guys. Can we not confuse listen, these things? It's hard for me. Pay attention. Um, the th- Listen, Apache was a $50 stock in October. It's a $21 stock now. So it wipes out the dividend very quickly. It has bounced over the last year, year and a half, but the bounces have been short-lived. So to answer your question, I think I'm in the BK. Tim Camp. Wow. The, wow. 30-year. Yeah, wow. The yeah. 30-year right. bond. Like J-Wow, O-W-W. With an extra W. Extra W. Up Three next, W's. final wow. trade. Who knew? The moment you've been waiting for, it is time to reveal if you at home are buying Guy's pitch on Citigroup. Sorry, oh, no. Guy. Oh, I thought this was the one. <laughs> and the dance percent said no, they are not buying your pitch Damn. on Citi. I think it was um, forecasted because we had three buys on the desk. Yeah. You know, you know who's voting for this? Who's not voting for him? Tony Braxton. She wants to hear the song every night. <laughs> it's an excellent I know. Why do we not figure this out? Have we invited her? About. Why do you take such glee oh. when I get eviscerated in these games? You do. You I don't. Such I don't. I, I take glee when everybody gets eviscerated. <laughs> <laughs> Equal evisceration. Time for the final trade. Tim. Yeah, Williams-Sonoma. Again, this is part of the housing trade that I think is, you know, could also have Sharon Williams in there. But the bottom line is 15 times they upped their guidance, 7.5% comp. Like it. BK. So we talked about lower rates. We talked about currency wars. We talked about a potential recession. You know what does well in all those? Gold, Newmont Mining. I think you look at that one. Steve? Chemical space and a yield play. 5% yield. TSE is the ticker. That's how it comes out. I'm there. It's gotten beat up in stock price. I think it's going to recover. TSE. A shout-out to the great high school football players of Georgia. They played in the Corky Kell over the weekend, and they all watched Fast Money Mill. I know you find that hard to believe. Citibank for all you wow. people that voted uh, no. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.